Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market, impact their community, create jobs, and generate wealth for all those involved. Karen and her guests share insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and scale their business and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now. Hey, Karen here. I'm going to jump in real quick before the actual program about crowdfunding begins. You know that uh, June is hump month. I'm using this month as a promotion to say if you've not yet bought your book for Inside Secrets to Angel Investing, then get it because you don't want to miss out on what's coming in June as a promotion for investors that are in the midst of looking at deals, trying to decide which deals to spend time and money on completing due diligence, figuring it out so they can make it an investment before the end of the year. And then I'm also going to say if you, for whatever reason, aren't quite there, or maybe you're an entrepreneur that is just really trying to figure out how to do crowdfunding, how to create an opportunity that investors will say yes to. Well, if you go to the karenrands.co slash blog, and also on the main page of karenrands.co, you'll see an opportunity to get the five billionaire secrets. These are the five things that the millionaires that I know that are becoming billionaires as angel investors, these are the things that they look for to make their decision about investing. They're broad categories because it's a free white paper, but it's really important, you know, to to assess whether you as an opportunity, as your opportunity as an entrepreneur, have these fatal flaws. Do you make this criteria? And you as an investors that might be thinking and thinking you know everything, do you know these five billionaire secrets? And then if you're still not ready to get the book, you can go get the 12 inside secrets. That's the ebook. That's the teaser that is also on that page. So go get it. Don't take any more time delaying giving your money an upgrade. Figure out how and where and why and when, who, what, why, and how you are going to become an investor and entrepreneurs and join the Compassionate Capitalist Movement. And with that, here's the show. Thank you very much. Hey, it's Karen Rands with the Compassionate Capitalist podcast, video cast as well, because it's also available on YouTube, uh, on my channel, Karen Rands, and also... Um, on the on all the different places that you listen to podcasts. So the topic today on the Compassionate Capitalist Podcast Show is using general solicitation or the various ways to raise money from the crowd to raise the capital for your business. And for people like myself that are deep in the industry, we take it for granted that people know this. Even though crowdfunding has been around for over 20 years in a rewards-based method. But since 2012, and really up until about, to, to, until about 2015, for all of the, the programs to be available, so the last five years, entrepreneurs have been able to raise money from 
in, from people out in the general population. But they don't know that they can. Georgia was one of the first states to do interest state, which means you can invest in entrepreneurs. If you live in that state, you can invest in entrepreneurs in that state and they can generally solicit for that before the Jobs Act was even passed. Kansas and Georgia did it. But you could probably count on two hands how many companies have successfully raised capital in Georgia under this rules. It's, it's not a lot. It's not, I mean, they might be doing it kind of off the, you know, not broadcasting that they're doing it. And I don't even know if a lot of people are tracking it or how they track it necessarily, but the crowdfunding association of Georgia has been for a while now saying not a lot. There's been some stuff done for real estate, but <clears throat> not really when it comes to entrepreneurs. So here's the thing <clears throat> when you're, and I'm working on my second book. Here's my first book inside secrets to angel investing. It was um, written in response to the jobs act. We're taking, if you watch the first video, or listen to the prior podcast about what is an angel investor. You, you heard me talk about this, that, you know, up until 2012, angel investing was something that was very, very tightly coupled. It was a small, yeah, it was, there was, you know, networks or membership groups of angel investors that would come together for private meetings. Entrepreneurs would be, have gone through a screening process, would <clears throat> uh, uh, apply to present to their group. They would get, after they'd been screened in a couple of committees, they would get approved. And then those investors would <clears throat> take a look at their investments. They would discuss it afterwards and decide if they were going to move forward with due diligence with that company and then proceed on. Okay, that was that was kind of the general process, and then um, they realized with in 2012, in response to the Great Recession, that the thing that had been the biggest factor that had limited entrepreneurs' ability to raise capital was this this bar, this ban, this prohibition of generally general soliciting to the public which as I talked about in the last podcast video thing was, you know, because it was designed that way to be able to be a, um, it was designed that way to buy, to be a private wealth creation strategy for the wealthiest people. And so if we, when we realize that not only were entrepreneurs having a hard time getting access to capital from investors because investors were also sitting on the sidelines, but primarily from banks. It's like, let's, let's make it, let them reach out to other people outside of these groups. Uh, because, you know, we're in a digital age. Why not? Why not find investors these other ways? And they discovered that in investors on the other side, other side of that, people that invested in the stock market, people that had invested in 401ks, had invested in the stock market, in, in real estate markets, all these people had lost a huge chunk of their wealth that was going to be their nest egg for retirement. And it was, it dropped drastically. And, and even now it's taken a decade for it to come back. And with the way our economy is going right now, we're not sure we even have all those discoveries. The thing about investing in an entrepreneur is that they may struggle, but you, you, you can pick and choose how you invest and how that money gets used to amplify their business based on your own risk profile goes so much further 
versus just buying in stock in a company that, that you're buying and selling from somebody else. The, the company doesn't actually benefit from you buying their stock or selling their stock. Um, so they, they benefit from the value of their stock, but not the transactions of selling the stock. So except for when, when you're private, when you're private. So the Jobs Act, they said, you know, let's put, let's, let's remove these limitations. Let's look at what our current laws are. Let's see how we can change those laws so that we can, and, and we need to be put new laws in. And they saw that, and I used this example the first time around in the first segment, but I'll briefly cover it here when I encourage you to go listen to that, is the, uh, is these things that we take for granted now, the innovation that came to market with traditional crowdfunding, reward-based crowdfunding from the Kickstarters and Indiegogos and whatnot, those things were brought to market because people wanted that innovation, were willing to pay for it before it got given to them, before it was in the market on the retail shelf. And so they would pay it ahead of time. And they would sometimes pay a premium, so they weren't really, they were just truly you know, innovation fanatics. But none of those people, those hundreds of thousands, of tens of thousands, whatever the number is, people benefited from when those companies reach a point that they got venture capital, got bought, went public, whatever. They didn't benefit from any of that. So that was a way that they could help these, these investors out there of all income levels be able to participate in the American dream of entrepreneurism without being the entrepreneur. And if you got somebody that it's hard to be an entrepreneur, and if you got somebody that is willing to put all of their, their blood, sweat, and tears and passion into getting a company going and growing, then you too can ride that coattail by giving them some of your money and sharing that risk with a whole bunch of other people that put money into that company. Okay? That's kind of how that works. You, you move that train down the tracks. So when it comes to crowdfunding or generating investment capital from the crowd, what does that look like? So there's reward-based crowdfunding still exists. There's still hundreds of platforms out there, the big ones that everybody knows, they always kind of use it as the Kleenex name of crowdfunding is, is uh, Indiegogo and Kickstarter, right? Um, I think Indiegogo went off and did a, a Reg CF one. So Reg CF, which was the new regulation that the Jobs Act came out, allows people to raise capital up to a million dollars a year from accredited and unaccredited investors. That means the people that are making over $250,000 a year, whereas in a million dollars in assets, not their house, plus their, um, their primary residence, plus, or combined income of $350,000 a year. So those folks, those folks can invest. They can invest an unlimited amount. Um, the ones that are not accredited can, can invest uh, based on their income level. They have to disclose that, I think. But they, uh, up to $2,000 in a company or $10,000 a year. Okay? And so that's Reg CF. Because it is the ones that they think are potentially the greatest risk for fraud, because it's a true, a true online portal, they, uh, those portals are regulated by FINRA, which is the quasi-government arm of the SEC that regulates all the broker-dealers. So in essence, for a portal to be able to be a, a licensed portal for doing the, um, 
for doing Reg CF, they have to um, go through a rigorous review process and they have to have processes in place that are supposed to mitigate the risk of fraud because the company does intend to come out with whatever they're offering their product. They do have the mechanisms to do that. They do have, they do a due diligence review of those companies. Uh, some of them will, uh, most of them don't charge for that. They do charge for the back end. And part of Reg CF is that you have to raise all your money before you can get any of your money. Okay, whatever you say you're gonna raise. So if you're raising that million dollars, you have to get a million dollars to get it. Um, a lot of times people will say, you know what? I'm gonna go out and say I'm raising $250,000 because I'm pretty certain I can get that. And at least if I get that, I can go do these other things and then try to oversell it and raise half a million dollars. Now, the, most of the Reg CF portals frown on that because they really only want you to raise about 10% more of it. It's just, it's sort of this, this weird sort of, if they're that, that's why the pre-planning for Reg CF is so, or any, any of these kind of um, programs, particularly Reg CF though, anything that you're on a portal like that, whether it's reward-based or equity-based on Reg CF, you have to get really, really, really good pre-plans. And they're not, it's not cheap. It's really just as expensive to raise money on a Reg CF platform as it is to go around to angel groups all over and pitches all over and, and raise the money. It, it, it probably as expensive, if not more. The difference is that you have another audience, you have a broader audience. And if you do it right, you know. So that's the Reg CF. Um, then they came out because like i said georgia had started this so and all states have it now this interstate exemption and so because where that derives from why they call it that is because reg d is a federal law so what it did was exempt you if you were doing intrastate because technically if you were driving down the road that's a federal highway on your way, you know what I mean? There was like all these really splitting hair kind of things. I was in a meeting when they first came out with this stuff and the former head of the SEC was up on stage and was taking Q&A and I asked him. And I was texting at the time with the person in a lawyer here in Georgia that had launched a interstate portal that it's now defunct, but he was, they were, and he was a lawyer. He was a securities attorney. And this guy was up on stage and I was asking him questions like this, you know, asking him questions while I was texting this other guy. And the reason why it was would have been considered, he would said what Georgia had done was illegal because, you know, if you put it up on a billboard, if you use your mail to solicit, if you use your, your uh, internet, internet for the most part is a federal, you know, service, okay? It's not provided by the state, you know, so it's... Uh, and so then you would be violating it because you would be using a federal means to communicate your general solicitation. Real splitting of heads there, hairs <laughs> there, I tell you. And it was like, it was crazy ludicrous they were doing it, but it didn't take, take the SEC long. I think before they even came out with the Reg CF rules, they had fixed interstate, okay? And so at the time, because they knew there was like a big problem with the states because they were, had already encountered it with Reg A+. So the first one that came out was Reg A+, which was the type three, I think, type two doesn't really matter. Nobody recalls them. They, they came out with type two, type three, types, type one, type two, type three of how they were going to do it. I should have pulled out my notes. I could open my book. There's a whole regulatory section in my book that talks about all this stuff. 
and how, it, how the history of angel investing came to pass. But Reg A Plus said the big, big thing there was you could raise up to $50 million. You could do it from an accredited and unaccredited, and you could general solicit without filing with the blue state laws. So one of the things that's part of, of the old Reg D filings that you had to file with the state to let them know you were raising capital. And if you were doing something on a national basis, like Reg A had been out there, mostly banks and stuff had used it, but you could test the waters for six months, meaning you could start asking. So broker dealers basically would have access to this offering document, would start testing the waters in their communities to see who would want to invest in this. And then they would turn around and file in the states because it's expensive to file in the states. It could be anywhere from 100 to $500 to file in the state. Might even be more. And so it could get very expensive if you were to file in all the states, you know, not counting all the other legal fees. This is just a filing fee. And so, and every state has nuances of it, right? And what they expect. So there's legal lawyer fees that go along with it. And so a lot of people didn't use Reg A. So they, but it was easiest for the SEC to modify Reg A. So they made Reg A plus, which gave this thing and exempted you from the blue state laws. So now the states all of a sudden didn't have any oversight or any, any they couldn't look and see who was raising capital in their state. <clears throat> and they had interest aid that they were doing. So they were kind of like taking it back from Fed or the feds, right? So the SEC said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to modify Reg D-504, which at that time allows you to raise up to $5 million. Most states were only allowing you to raise up to a million dollars. So they allowed them to raise up to $5 million and you can have a mix of accredited and unaccredited based on the rules that were put in place for Reg CF. Okay. So, cause that was where they were looking at it. It's kind of started on Reg A plus. And that basically meant that the, that rule that if you make, if you're, if you're not accredited, then you're limited on how much you can put in a single deal and how much you can invest in private companies over the course of the year. Okay. So it's 10 grand total and two grand in a given company, which I think is smart. If, if, that, if you're making under $200,000 a year, that's really probably the, the, the most that you should be putting in. Assuming you got lots of liquidity, that is the most that you should be putting in to these kind of companies, quite frankly. That is, that's a true thing. And if you, if you listen to the last podcast where I talked about the wealth creation, AKA Jason Kalkanis and his, uh, um, if I knew what I knew now, if I knew then what I knew now, this is how I would have made my first few hundred thousand dollars in five years. That's like what he said, but you have to go listen to that podcast to hear how I, how I do the math on that. <clears throat> so it's basically putting money into Reg CF companies every month for five years. And so, so with that, um, so that's how interest rate came to happen. So it's 5 million with this, right? So now you got three of them, Reg A, Reg CF, interest rate, which is the new 504. And then you have Reg D, 506 B and C. So those are the ones that have been around for a long time. And most people, most entrepreneurs use to raise capital. It's the way they most often raise, the, raise with angel groups. So 506B, it's unlimited amount of money. 506B is the same old that it's always been. Nothing's changed. Investors sign an investor questionnaire and they, um, they, they, they certify on their own signature 
just their signature that they are an accredited investor. Nobody checks. They pledged it, so they must be. <clears throat> Under 506C, then what has to happen is that the investor has to prove, or the entrepreneur has to get evidence to prove that that investor is an accredited investor. And that is done in one of three ways. They file, they file a, ba a, uh, a balance sheet. They file a disclosure of their assets and liabilities. That's the biggest point of heartburn for all investors. They don't do it. They don't like to do it. And that's the one that they all hung on to when this, it first came out and, and got a bad rap for um, general solicitation or you know, raising capital that way. But it's really not that big a deal because you don't have to do it that way. The second way that you can do it is by getting a licensed professional to sign off for you. Your CPA is licensed. Your lawyer is licensed. Your financial wealth manager is licensed. Any one of those can put on a letterhead that you are an accredited investor and that counts. The third way is just like when you're going to get a loan for your house or you refinance your house or something like that and you provide two years of income tax statement. So if you qualify based off of a W-2 on an income tax statement, then you can pass the 506C muster. And then, you know, companies and typically people will do $50,000. So that's the baseline of what is crowdfunding and those are the, the four ways, well, actually five ways to raise money from a crowd. One, reward-based, four, equity-based. So how do you use those in application in reality? How do you go about using them? When should you use them? That's really what I'm working on. My next book is called Scale, you know, the inside secrets to getting the capital you need to grow your business, plus a, a whole lot more talking about the operational side of scaling and, and raising the capital. I'm just going to give it to you in the nutshell because <laughs> it's taking me a while to write this book. It's going to be as, as impactful and and information filled as this book is, it'll just be geared towards the entrepreneurs that are raising that capital. But I also want investors to listen because if you are an investor, and I talk about it in this book, if you are an investor that, you know, you, you really don't have a risk tolerance for a startup, that scenario I played out for Reg CF, really not your cup of tea. And you got plenty of money. You got a million dollars in a 401k because you're, you've been working for a corporation for a long time and you're making $500,000 a year as an executive. You can afford to be an angel investor in a company that you could put twenty-five dollars or $50,000 in. But I would look for interstate examples of companies that you admire. You admire the business that they have. You admire the stuff that they are doing. You talk to your local banks and the people that are making SBA loans for businesses that are expanding and buying equipment and stuff like that and say, hey, do you know, when you hear of opportunities like this, you know, a company that wants to scale, they're getting a bank loan to be able to scale this, they're opening up a second plant, they're opening up a second facility, but they need capital to grow. You're in your chamber, you go to your chamber, you say, let's support our local businesses. Here's this great restaurant that we like, or this great new entertainment concept for kids, or this great new this, that, or the other. Let's go and pull our money as a chamber and back that company to be able to go and create a franchise or be able to go company-wide and, and, you know, start up another facility 100 miles down the road for that does like that. Uh, uh, urgent care. We know we need all kinds of Alzheimer's. You know, we need all kinds of, of special care 
for an aging population. There's all kinds of opportunities out there, things that you can think about that you know in your community that you could be the silent backers that invest in that from an intrastate standpoint and keep jobs in your community, grow the jobs in your community, grow the wealth within your community by pooling your money together under intrastate, being a silent partner in a business with an owner operator that brought, came to the table with 10% perhaps, stuff like that. There's, there's so many ways that you can play. So you also as a company, cause you, and you don't want to deal with startups, but you as a company as one of those kind of companies, look at that. That is something that you can do. You could start at a local level through interstate. Check with your state, your secretary of state on what do you have to do to file to make sure that you're doing it all very legit. Look and see if there's any tax credits in your state. Almost every state has some form of a tax credit that investors that invest in that because they've got earned income tax, right? They've got a W-2 that they're getting taxed on or they've got income coming from other investments they're getting taxed on. If they, get, if they invest in you, they get a tax credit on that investment against their earned income. Okay, pause for that. So find out, you as an entrepreneur, need to find out if there, what are the tax credits that are going on in your state what are the specific rules for your state? And then put that together in a package and start going to your chamber. Start meeting with the president of your chamber and say, hey, I want to come together as an economic development for this project. You go to, go to your rotary. You're not going to miss it. You know, and just start to find out. Go to the bank. The trust managers in banks know the people that are in a position to do these kind of things because they manage their trusts, right? So those people would know who are candidates to be the ones that would invest locally in a business that would create more jobs. And those kind of businesses to yo investor, yo entrepreneur are already stable. They've already got income. There are also the businesses out there. Another way, if you are an investor listening to this right now, or you are one of these entrepreneurs that I'm about to talk about, out of all these angel, these very private groups that I talked about that make these. And when I use that example in the last one, where I talked about the 10 companies, and those, there's three that fail outright. There's three that just do a little bit, kind of get your money back. And three that do just okay. And you get like double your money back or triple, you know, but not the big one. Well, part of the reason why those six companies in the middle don't do as well, they had a good business model. They had a good idea. They had a good strategy. They had a good team. They didn't get the next round of money they needed to truly scale. Because even though, there's a lot of money in venture capital. It doesn't go into as much as many companies as angel money goes into. The angel investor money of these groups goes into you know, far, more, far more companies. So probably only a third or a half of the companies that get invested by angel investors get venture capital follow-on money. So there's this plateau that companies come into where they can't get that next level of capital that they intend to. And all their revenue goes back into the company just trying to keep it growing and fueling the growth. They've got opportunity. They just can't take advantage of all the opportunity because they can't hire more salespeople. They can't hire more installers, more put another manufacturing line in place because it all takes money. It takes money to make money. All right. And so, so those, those, you know, you know, at local angel group, you as a chamber, you, I don't want to invest in early stage things. I want to find out of your plateaued companies. Um, one of my 
uh, guest, uh, Hall Martin, that's, that started the Central Texas Angel Group, CTAM, among other groups, um, he calls them payroll exits. And it's the most frustrating things for angel investor groups because they have this, these, these number of entrepreneurs that um, the, the founders just want to get a pay raise. They kind of lost their, their fire in their belly. They didn't get the next round of capital, so they're just churning it out. And they kind of get to, well, you know, I can make a good lifestyle on this. Oh, well, someday I'll sell it and my investors will get their return and they're less concerned about growing it. You know, they're a $5 million company that had potential to be a $50 million company in all of their docs when they raised the first round of capital. But they never caught, they have, they've been, they, they hit a million, two million, and then they kind of just plateaued because they didn't get that 5 million they needed to go from 2 million to 20 million. And so where do they go get 5 million? They can't get it from a bank. A bank's not going to loan 5 million to a company that's only making 5 million. They're too small of private equity funds. They're too slow growth or wrong industry for VCs. And the angel groups are not going to reinvest in these deals that have kind of stalled. So where do they go get money? They want to bring a whole other product out. They want to bring another line out. They want to take their application and modify it for a different industry and tailor it to a different industry. They already are doing really well in this industry. They're, they're making money. They do a realized you know, revenue statement you know, versus all that they're investing in new code or something. They would actually have a lot more profit in their business. You know? So they're making money. They're just not making enough money to grow and scale. So as local businesses, local investors in a state, you can identify those, pull your money together, find the ones that have the greatest potential to create the greatest jobs and bring innovation in the market in that community, in that part of that region of your state and invest in those. Pull your money together and invest in, right? That would be under the interest state. And entrepreneurs can use the interest state for something like that because then you want to fuel a national campaign of advertising to set, so everybody knows that you have this product so you grow your revenue. And you might need to spend a million dollars in advertising. Well, you know, I have a program that I work with that gets you a million dollars in advertising for about a half a million dollars, okay? But still, who's got that kind of money if you're a $5 million company with EBITDA of $300,000, $400,000? You have $500,000 to spend on advertising to push your product out into stores nationwide. What about the inventory management? All that stuff is part of scale that you can figure out, but you need the capital, the money to do that. And so interstate can be a part of funding a campaign that allows you, if you have potential to be nationally known, you raise money on a local basis or sometimes on a reg CF basis to go raise money on a 506C or reg A plus and raise 10 million, $20 million. Okay. Which one of those do you use? Well, if you are a traditional type of business that has been on a tech trajectory where you would be able to go because there are super angels that will invest in 506Cs and some boutique venture capital firms that will invest in 506Cs. You just have to have that initial piece of the investment to get it going to show that you have the ability to raise the capital. But you can, so as you advertise on a national basis, your brand, your company coming here, you start to tell your story. We have a program where we do a video that looks like it's a, um, an interview with a news channel, like it looks like an interview with a, um, uh, like a, you know, a news broadcast, but it gets inputted at the beginning of a Bloomberg 
or at the beginning of a, you know, a regular MSNBC, you know, whatever, when people are watching on their phone and they're watching this stuff. So they don't know that they're not watching a TV show. I mean, they don't know that they're watching an advertisement because it looks like it's an interview on a newscast. And then, but then they hear about this company and this industry perspective. We also have a way of putting ads in the Financial Times that are these advertorial articles. So it looks like it's an article written about your company. They use it all the time right now for diet meds and pain relief meds and things like that. But we can use that for your company, for your industry. And it's all part of a cohesive strategy to raise your level of trust. Because the biggest thing you got to think about when you are raising money under any of the general solicitation rules, okay, for equity, interstate, maybe not so much because it's in your state, Reg CF for sure, 506C and Reg A plus, odds are you're never going to set eyeballs on this person. You see them through a video when they do an update or they do a webinar or they do something like that, but you're not going to meet them face to face. You're going to, they, and so therefore you as an entrepreneur raising capital, it's one thing when you raise capital through these angel groups and then you have a follow-up and you have an opportunity to convince them to a conversation. When it comes to general solicitation, you don't have that same ability. You have to garner their interest through video, you have to have lots of feelers out there. That's why I say the Reg CF, you've got to plan way ahead. It costs just as much to raise money on that because you have to have a strategy and a plan that puts you out in the marketplace in a way that you have never been out in the marketplace before <clears throat> to grow brand awareness and trust awareness. They need to be able, that potential investor needs to feel like can trust you as a CEO because of what they find on the internet about you. That's why these interviews that look like they're media interviews that you're being interviewed as an expert in your field becomes really important. Or you're getting interviewed in these advertorials. Or you ha and you have a publicist that's getting you interviews in these magazines. We work on, on those kind of stuff. We work on that stuff. And you're out there and this content and the content's out there on you, the content's out there on your, your um, product and you're, you're growing your revenues. So as that stranger investor looks at you, they feel comfortable and your due diligence materials are there. I mentioned about Reg CF having to go through a portal. None of the other ways of raising capital require you to be in a portal. Now, some states may have some kind of rule on that, but um, most states, you know, at least I know uh, Georgia doesn't, you don't have to be on a registered portal. So 506 and Reg A plus, you do not need to be in a, go through a broker dealer. You can raise the money on your own. So you don't have to pay a commission to somebody and you don't have to be in a portal, but you must have your due diligence site. You have to have, yeah, I, I, the way we do it, we set up a password access portal that we have certain public information that we're, that's on your investor relations page. And then behind that, we have the confidential information that you want somebody to sign off on an NDA and you want to know they're a, 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 an actual investor before you give them access to this information. And so those are, that's the way that we go about doing it. And we manage that as part of our services for entrepreneurs, as well as for investors, you know, wanting to help raise money for a company that they're invested in. And so those are the kind of things that you should look at when you're looking at this and really look at the nuances of this. People, they reg a, the reg, SEC had to change the rules and ASDIC changed the rules for Reg A pluses because so many startups were using it. Reg A plus is not designed for a startup because I mentioned about not having to do blue sky laws, but what you do also have to do though is you do, you must file financials with the SEC and they have to be 
SEC audited financial, meaning that they're good enough to go public because it is sort of like a backdoor to going public. And so you have to file the audited financials. The rest of the paperwork can come later, if at all. But therefore, by, by the very nature of that, the intention, they just assumed that it would be used by companies that have been around that I'm describing a number of years that have you know, millions of dollars in revenue that they're going to file these, um, these financials for, and they're getting growth capital. It was intended for those businesses that got stuck in that capital abyss that wanted to go raise money and had a potential to be on a, a national basis. It's a regional drink. It's a regional food product. It's a regional restaurant. It's a regional business that wants to go national and needs the money to go do that. Reggae Plus is, is ideal for that. But because so many people and so many advisors with bad advice, you know, just because you can do it doesn't necessarily mean you should do it. Okay. So just because you can do Reggae Plus with zero financials as a startup doesn't mean you should do it. Okay. And if you as an investor see a Reggae Plus, don't invest in a company just because they're a Reggae Plus. If they don't have a financial history of success, and you know what they're going to do with that money that's going to grow them exponentially. It's a whole new product. It is a, it's like they're a qualified startup that's going to go much bigger. It's 10 times better than doing a reverse merger or doing any kind of pink sheet company because they're already at this thing that's doing well. And now they're going to end the very process of soliciting on a national basis to go up here, okay, like this. I'm, I'm trying to do a bar chart in my, for those that can't see me. Um, and the, the, by the very nature of that, they're better off than a pink sheet. A pink sheet and a reverse merger is just, I, I don't know why people do it. It doesn't actually get you capital. It, it, it's, it, there's a certain logic to it and somehow companies do it, but it's really not truly a means to be raising capital. A reg A plus is a better way to raise capital because when you, ra you can't general solicit when you're raising capital for a pink sheet company. And, and, and as a public company, you, you can't get pipe money, private investment into public. You can get pipe money, but typically that money draws a stock down because they're getting in to get out. They're getting in to get their return. When you're investing in, this, in a, a reggae plus, you're expecting them to go up. And in the process of them raising the capital, they're raising their national profile so that and that a lot of people know about them and the market makers in the, in the, uh, on in, in the investment, in the investment management world in, in wall street, they know about it because they're doing the reggae plus and they haven't yet gone public. Okay. So look for a company with a good track record and good history, right? You as an angel, you as an for investors, for entrepreneurs, Think of it as a way to raise capital that makes sense for you to be on a national basis. You use 506C when you want to be able to solicit to investors in other states without necessarily doing a broadcast, okay? Because you're only going after accredited investors. Now, sometimes people will marry up a Reg CF with a 506C, okay? Well, they'll, they'll start with the Reg CF to get their money to do a 506C, and they'll go out on a national basis, garnering interest that goes through the portal. But then as they, they'll, they'll funnel them first through something else that captures their information. If they are a 
non-accredited, they send them over to Reg CF. If they're an accredited investor, they start to develop a relationship with them via email and blog to, and, and webinars and things like this and kind of gathering up a pool for three months to four months so that when they go to launch their 506C, they got traction in there. And one of the, the things we do, there's a certain portal that you can post deals in. When you have a deal champion, you can, it facilitates raising capital. It's, a, it's labor intensive, but it's a process that works. I'm not stealing all my thunder here, but you know, it'll be in my book scale on how we go about doing that. But it'll, uh, and, and so that, you know, there's a, there's a, a science behind all of this. There's a methodology that has been proven to work. And that's what we try to help companies understand how to do in practice and then in the book as well. So we do that for them now. The book is going to describe it. The book will be out sometime this year. Okay, so I think I covered it. You know how interstates used. You know how Reg CF. Reg CF is really just the equity version of a, of a, of a Kickstarter. And it's, and it's used a lot of times in conjunction with... A, a Kickstarter type of program. So you might get your initial product in the market and some money for doing that with a reward base and then roll in using the same mechanism that you use to be successful in reward base to be equity based. And I have seen some creative ways that they're doing that in a convertible note on Reg CF. So it's a convertible note with Reg CF that it's one entity that then converts into um, a Reg D 506C. The problem with a Reg D 506C is that you can't, um, on Reg D 506C is that you can't go back and do a 506B, a regular raise afterwards. You have to stay with 506C, but you can do Reg CF simultaneously while you're doing a 506C. So I, I probably, did I just make it, did I make it clear? Please comment if I, if this cleared up some stuff for you. I, I talk about it so much. I know I talk fast, but it's uh, it's something that I I realized had been uh, still isn't out there. When I encounter people, they go, "Well, I didn't know you could do that," and they're in the space. They should know. They should know you could raise money on interest rate, or they should know you could raise money <clears throat> under a five hundred six C at general solicit. They should know this stuff, but they don't. And that said to me, I need to do a podcast, another podcast on it. And I need to, I mean, my podcast is, uh, I have over 180 episodes. I realized that not that, you got to be a huge fan to go back and listen to all my other podcasts when I'm coming out with another one every week. Anyhow, so uh, with that, onwards and upwards, thank you for tuning in. Please go back and listen to another podcast and tune in next week and uh, learn more. And become a compassionate capitalist. Help me spread that word. Please go to karenrands.co, see what we're all about. Buy the book, get the resource portal, get onto the Compassionate Capitalist Coffee Break. There's a little tidbits of uh, information that comes out, a short video, a how-to video um, about once a week. And uh, onwards and upwards. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this podcast, The Compassionate Capitalist Show, brought to you by Cougaran Capital Holdings with Karen Rands as host. 
you are encouraged to visit the website, cougaran.com, to learn more about how Karen and her team help investors and angel groups make money by avoiding investing in deals that suck, and how the Cougaran Capital Companies and Partners help entrepreneurs break through their barriers to capital and live their dream by building companies that can scale and create generational wealth for their founders and investors. If your business could benefit from exposure to our audience of business executives, entrepreneurs, and investors, we are seeking financial partners and sponsors for the Compassionate Capitalist Show to help us take this podcast beyond our 150,000 listeners and amplify the message of the Compassionate Capitalist Movement by making this a top 50 business podcast. The Compassionate Capitalist Show is available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, and Google Podcasts. Contact us at karenrands.co to learn more. And as a listener, you can do your part of the Compassionate Capitalist Movement by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts and sharing this show with your friends and colleagues. Be sure to pick up your copy of Karen's bestseller that launched the Compassionate Capitalist Movement, Inside Secrets to Angel Investing, a step-by-step strategies to leverage private equity investment for passive wealth creation. Thank you for listening.